So. And we're back, Stripe Show Podcast. On a Monday, I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. Hope you had a great weekend. I know I did. Fantastic weekend. I love the waste management. Phoenix Open, what a party that was. We'll be getting into all of that here on the on the podcast, but also a little Super Bowl on Sunday as the, the NFL season comes to an end. Incredible playoff run. Another terrific game right down to the wire. Yes, congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams. That's tough for me to say as a Seattle Seahawks fan in the same division, but they deserve it. I think they were the better team, and I'm very happy for Matthew Stafford, uh, who gets his NFL Super Bowl ring. So enough with football. Got some golf to talk about. So much is happening in professional golf right now. My head is spinning. It's been a crazy day. Usually we have Froggy on a Wednesday. We're going to move that up to a Tuesday because we just had a terrific interview with Kramer Hickok, who was in the field at Waste Management. We're going to share that with you on Tuesday. Lots of stuff to digest there that he talked about considering the Saudi league, his thoughts on Charlie Hoffman, Phil Mickelson, all of these things, hot topics. We're going to get into it here with my man, Daniel Rappaport, who was in Phoenix, then now made the trip to LA and you were caddying for Fitzpatrick. Is that right here on the practice round? Yeah, they had like a, they have a college showcase thing on Monday um, where there's like, I think it's like 20 kids play and the winner gets a spot in the field. Um, and Matt's little brother, Alex, is senior at Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. He's a really good player. He's like, at one point he was number four in the amateur rankings, world amateur rankings. I think he's, he's still in the top 10. Um, so he played in it and Matt played with him. And Alex took Matt's full-time caddy. So I caddied for Matt. Just, okay. just for a one-day thing. It was fun. He did not play very well. He did not make it. But mm-hmm. it was fun. It was definitely fun. How's the rib look? It looks great, man. It's such a good golf course. Greens are rolling good. Weather's perfect. It's just really, it's my favorite, it's my favorite week of the year. It's a home game for me. Like I grew up, like high school, like two or three miles away from there. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's a dream. It's, it's probably the best golf course on tour. I think that's kind of like consensus. So. Yeah. It, yeah, it's certainly it, right there. It, what a finish last year. Speaking of great finishes, of course, Max Homa uh, beat Tony Finau in the playoff. Better par four quickly before we get into so many topics here. Better par four, 10 at the at the Riv or 17 at Scottsdale? You know, it's interesting. I would, historically, 10 is the answer. Like, that's considered the best. But I don't know, man. Like, if you look at the shots, tracker or the shot link for mm-hmm. how people have played 10 in recent years it's like everyone now no one lays up everyone just hits it left and has like a weird chip and it's very sort of dependent on whether you're behind the tree or not behind the tree it's not really like a decision or risk reward hole anymore it's kind of just like get a good bounce um but with how firm and how sort of crowned that green is I actually think I might give the nod to 17 of Scott. I know that wow. sounds wild to say, but just watch the way that guys play it this week. Everyone just hits driver left and then has like a weird shot that's very luck dependent. So, yeah, I guess the traditionalist will probably cringe, but I'll give the nod to, to uh, 17 at uh, Scottsdale. All right, talking to Daniel Rappaport with Golf Digest. Great follow at Daniel underscore Rappaport on Twitter. Here's my little claim to fame. 2001, I lived in Phoenix. 
where I got my start in teaching. I went to the 2001 Phoenix Open. I was standing next to the green on 17 when Andrew McGee made his hole in one. Wow, that is yeah. a pretty good game. Yeah, I watched it. Ball came bouncing in. Can't remember who was putting. It ricocheted off his putter and the ball disappeared. Everybody didn't know what happened. Like, what just happened there? And it went in the hole and it was a hole in one. It was crazy. Wait, so someone else was putting out and they yeah. hit into the green? Yeah, it came bouncing in. McGee's not a real long player and it hit his putter. He kind of flinched, hit his putter, and it went in the hole. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, is that still the only one in PJ Tour history? I think so. Yeah, I think so. There you go. That is a claim to fame. Right? Yeah. I mean, it was it was nuts then. It wasn't all enclosed, but man, it was a party. The bird's nest. I remember going over and watching Huey Lewis in the news. And I mean, I kind of remember it because, you know, you kind of, you know, you take it a little deep at night. But um, yeah, it was it was an absolute party then. So anyway, let's talk about this dumb. year. That was 21 years ago. I know. I know I'm old, dude. I'm 44. 2022 Waste Management. No, WM Phoenix Open. I like that little change, by the way. WM Phoenix Open. Another great tournament. Man, it was a great field. It was cool to see. Weather's always perfect. We'll talk about the tournament itself in a second. Just its model and the way they go after the entertainment. But let's talk about the two guys that really, I think, were the story. Sahith, Sahith is how you say it. Sahith, Sagala. He was right there, the rookie on the PGA Tour. I want to start with him first. He put on a great show. I mean, this is a guy, comes out of Pepperdine, really good player, terrific short game. I mean, you're watching a, a big dude that has great hands, terrific hands, can hit these high, soft, all speed, really slow coming off the club head, just phenomenal short game, incredible touch with the putter, has a really good tee to green week, and he's right there. You know him. In fact, you were exchanging texts with him. Tell my audience about this guy. Yeah, he's a really good kid. So I, the first time I ever came across him was I was playing in, they had like, it was called the Toyota Tour Cup. And they were these events in Southern California for the you know, better, quote unquote, better players. And I remember seeing his name near the top of the leaderboard and seeing, I think I, you know, I graduated in 2012 or something or 13, you know, he was like four years younger and it was like, who is this kid who's leading the tournament? And then you saw him coming up 18 and he was already the size he is now. He's a giant. He was just massive. And I, you know, a name like that, you're not going to forget him. So he's a really good kid. I mean, Brentley Romine from Golf, from Golf Channel did a really interesting profile on him a couple of years ago. He's funny, man. Like mm. he used to hit, intentional shanks in warm-up uh, just to throw off his opponent. Like, there's a story about the first time he met John Rahm. He just hit a cold, hard shank on purpose and tried to act like he didn't do it. Like, he's just a jokester. Doesn't take himself too seriously. Um, you know, he's, he's... The way I describe him is he's, like, he's very unjaded. You know, like, a lot of guys on tour, and, and he'll probably get there eventually, but a lot of these guys who have been on tour for a while who have been in all these future groups, like, you know, they've, they've heard everyone screaming their name. They've, they've gotten all the attention for so long. It doesn't really affect them. You could tell that, that Sahib really, really enjoyed that week. Like, he really enjoyed being there, playing with the guys that he grew up watching, having his family there. He was interacting with fans the entire week. Just, you know, doesn't take himself too seriously mm -hmm. and seems, seems to play the game with a sort of joyfulness that is really refreshing because it seems like, you know, all we talk about in the professional game these days right now, at least on the men's side, is money. You know, and, and when he walked off the golf course and was crying,
crying out of out of sheer emotion after losing by one. You know, it wasn't about the money. It was just about the competition. It was about making his family and his and his fans proud. And I think that's why it was so it was so endearing. I mean, everyone was pulling for him this week because he just he just was real. You know, he showed emotion. You don't see that very often, especially you know, the guys he lost to, Scheffler and Cantlay, almost never show any emotion. Right. So it was really it was really nice to have someone out there who was sort of wearing the heart on the sleeve. He went toe to toe with Brooks. Two straight days. You know, Brooks can be intimidating, and uh, he was right there with him, uh, toe-to-toe, matching shots, came back from the double early uh, on Saturday. I love it on Sunday, hits his ball on three, hits someone in the leg, goes over there, takes a selfie with him. Then he walks up, sees his ball in the hole in the desert, hits an incredible short game shot to get it up onto the fringe. <laughs> Just kind of rolls with the punches. Hey, yeah, let's take a selfie. Let's do it. You want me to sign something too? Um, smiling. I don't know. Every once in a while, Daniel, every once in a while, there's a player that kind of comes across that just looks like they have this touch and this feel with their hands that you just Mm -hmm. can't really explain. And he has it. I mean, he just, it's like he's one with the ball and the face dynamic, you know, like he just knows how the ball is going to come off, how much acceleration and speed he needs to put on it. It's just this soft touch, the ball speed never feels like it comes off the face where he's out of control and it's, you know, and he just hits so many wonderful short game shots. His putting stroke and touch is to die for. And it's, it's really interesting too, because here's a guy who's petting, who's putting conventional on left to right putts primarily. And then he goes left hand low on right to left putts primarily. That's not unheard of, but it's usually the other way around. Like usually you go left hand low on left to right breaking putts. He goes the other way. He'll mix it up mid round. If it feels better. I just, I love that. I think that kind of speaks to what you were saying and just kind of the refreshing aspect of it. It's not about, Hey, what did um, Sam putt lab say? What did track yeah. band say? No, he's like, this is what my hands are telling me and let's roll. Totally. You know, a player that comes to mind as you were describing him, you know, and it's, don't want to put any pressure on the kid by comparing him to the number one player in the world, but it's, it's almost Rom-esque, right? Like, just has this sort of feel around the greens where maybe it's not exactly what you would teach in an instruction manual. You know, it might it kind of look, sometimes it'll look a little funky, it's full swing, but one of those guys who plays golf cannot play golf swing at all, at all, at all, at all. Um, and those guys are the ones who are dangerous. You know, he's not, he's not a slave to track man numbers. He's not really worried about what it looks like on video. But he's a kid who started playing golf and won the junior world at age six. So he's been good for a really long time. You know, and I think because of the timing of his senior season, which was COVID, he really went under the radar. But the kid won all the awards in college. I mean, he won the Nicholas Award. He won the whole, and he won all three his senior year, the Haskins Award. Um, so, you know, he's been a really, really good player. He was the best junior in California. I remember him. So another one of these kids has been good at every single level and and really not a surprise that he's you know he he really did hang toe to toe and, and he did you know that 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 bounce he got on 17 man i spoke to his caddy carl smith mm. after the round he's like he's like i have no idea what that bounce was no idea what that bounce was because it was cutting ball was cutting you know and it was it was going right up the middle of the green which is, which is where you have to hit it you know xanders was drawing on the same line xanders takes a, takes a straight kick and rolls out to 18 feet and five kicks dead left. Golf is unfair. You know, it's just 
played outside and that happens and it's a tough break. But he got into this week, which he was really, really happy about. He was pumped about that. They weren't in, he's been trying to get sponsors invited into Riv for a long time. Um, he finally got one after mm. last week. So he's in the field again. I saw him at the golf course. He was playing in the pro-am today. So yeah, the train, the train rolls on. Love it. Sahith Sigala, remember that name. I think we'll be seeing more of him, especially if he can keep his driver in front of him like he did there. He's long, and I think for him, it's just kind of more accuracy, proximity. If he can do that, give himself the looks that he did. He's a wonderful putter, and he's got a good short game. He was a sponsor invite at the Waste Management. Now, the other play I want to talk about, I don't want to talk about Cantley. Talk about Patrick Cantley enough. Right? He's the FedEx Cup champion. Dude's got no weaknesses. He's going to be there so many times. Wonderful player. We get it. I want to talk about Scotty Scheffler, guy that you know as well, uh, played at University of Texas. I've always thought, Daniel, that Scotty was going to be a better pro than he was amateur, and he was a very good amateur player. I just thought that Scotty, mature kid, confident, nice temperament. Um, He's got that high ball flight. He can bomb it off the tee, dominate with his driver. He'll have his good putting weeks. I just thought, look, this guy's kind of built for long-term success out here on the PGA Tour, given this distance era. And no one's surprised that he got his first win. It's easy to say when someone wins, like, oh my God, this guy's going to win all of the time. Look, Scotty Shuffler, this is not going to be his only win. I mean, he is the real deal, and he is built for PGA Tour golf. Fifth first-time winner. On the PGA Tour, we saw Hoagie at AT&T. We saw List at the Farmers. A bit of a run here for first-time winners. You know Scotty. Give us some insight on the big guy from Texas. I think you really put it super well. He's got just like a very modern game. You know, he hits it really, really far. Good putter. Really high. I think you, you really nailed it. It's a game that if you were to build a PGA Tour player, the game would look something like Sheffler. A guy who gets hot, makes a ton of birdies. You know, he shot 59. He was probably, I would say, the best player in the world without a PGA Tour win uh, before he got it done. So this was overdue for sure. Um, you know, he played so so well at the Ryder Cup, and I really, I really think he put so much confidence beating Rom. Because remember how well Rom was playing that week? I mean, he was mm-hmm. untouchable. Him and Sergio, they were just mowing people down, and Rom was playing some some golf almost as good as it can be played. And then Scotty came out there, punched him in the mouth on the front nine and, and really didn't take his throat off his neck the entire day. So, you know, he, he doesn't really show you much on the golf course. He did get really pumped after he holds that 25-footer to win it. Um, he's very sort of even keeled, but he definitely burns hot underneath there. I, mean, I think you saw that at the Ryder Cup. So, yeah, just, just another 25-year-old or whatever. I think he's 25. Another 25-year-old American who's just awesome. I mean, yeah. there's so many of them. There's so so many. If you look at the world rankings, it's just like Sam Burns popped up, and then Scotty Scheffler popped. You know, there just seems to be another twenty-something American. Sahi Sahis is twenty-four. Twenty. Well, yeah. So, so, so many, so many good players who are twenty-four to twenty-nine. You know, Justin Thomas. We, we forget Justin Thomas. They're twenty-eight. I mean, there's so many guys in their twenties. It's. I, I would not want to be a European Ryder Cup captain for the next <laughs> no. twenty years. And he's, and he's got that major championship game, you know, like. Oh, look at his results in there, yeah. dude. I think he's got like, in his last five, I think he has like three top tens and yep. he has T18 and T19 or something. Like, a U.S. Open, you know, guy, he's got a, he's got a carried a long way in history. He drives it long, high, and straight. That's going to play. 
most most places that's going to play. Third at Memorial, uh, you sprinkle that in. Um, fifth at WGC Mexico. Uh, I mean, it's just like you know these big tournaments, the way they're set up. He's just got the game for it, and he's only had a putting week better than Phoenix last week one other time. He he, he gained eight point seven at the U.S. Open, where he finished seventh. And he gained 6.5 at Phoenix. He lost an approach, which you just don't see very often on the PGA Tour and win. He lost 1.6, but his driver was dominant, positive 5.2. So the driver and the putter, um, we've seen it play out there at Phoenix. Usually you got to have a little better approach game than that. But you do usually, you know, it's funny. I've been thinking about this. I, I think about weird things at weird times, Daniel. And Phoenix, more than probably statistically can be more of a putting contest than any other tournament. Now we don't think about that because it finishes at minus 16, minus seven. They don't get into negative 25, 26, like we've seen. But when you really look at what it takes to win in Phoenix, you've got to have that spike in putting. It's usually plus five, plus six. Now we'll see at other tournaments where you can win with plus two, plus three, but like the driver plays in, and that plus five, plus six, you got to make a ton of putts to win in Phoenix, and Scotty did uh, in order to do that. All right, let's talk yeah. about the tournament itself. Yeah, I think one of the reasons for that, just to chime in real quick, yeah. is like if you if you drive it well, you're going to have a ton of wedges. Right. So it's like you know, it's it's hard to pick up that much when you're hitting on approach when you're hitting wedges. Like a lot of these, you know, the separate courses, you're hitting a bunch of long irons, you can really make up a lot of ground on approach. But like you know, you probably hit a lot of wedges. 20 feet and made the 20 footers. Mm -hmm. breakdown. So he hit it as far as he does. It was so firm last week. I mean, yeah. I'm sure he averaged somewhere in the 320s, 330. So it's probably just a lot of wedges. The tournament itself, WM Waste Management, uh, the tournament that really leaned in to the idea of entertainment, right? Let's provide this social atmosphere and this entertainment, and let's get something that we can brand, like TPC Sawgrass did at 17. And let's make it 16. Let's enclose it and let's embrace entertainment. Let's embrace the social aspect and let's do it for what used to be just, you know, five days. Now it's turned into like nine days. <laughs> they kick it off the weekend before. But when I think of waste management, Daniel, the tournament, and I've been a few different times. I've been when it was before what it is today. I've been kind of during the ramp up. I need to go back. It's been a while to see where it is. Now I get an idea watching it in the hole in ones and the beer going everywhere. And I loved your tweet when someone said, Hey, uh, one of the, uh, security guys got a, um, over the, over the microphone. And they said that, Hey, a hot air balloon's about ready to land on eight. <laughs> I mean, it's just fantastic. You know? Um, but when I think of waste management, I think of this, I think of everyone, Daniel is invited. Everyone doesn't matter if you play golf or not, you're invited. Golf is for everyone. It's fun. Come on out and enjoy it. That's what I think of. What do you think of? Yeah, I, I, I think back to this image I have in my head from yesterday. They're on the 18th hole, and Scotty is lining up his putt to win the tournament. And there's a ton of people that are watching and, and standing around. And, but there were also a ton of people who were walking toward the exit. Right when the tournament's about to finish, the guy's putting for the win. And it was kind of symbolic of like, look, there are core golf fans here, but there are also people who are just out there to have a good time. Mm. And you know, I think golf has so 
many built-in advantages when it comes to that. It's outside, you know, tournaments are, are places where weather is typically good. Courses are maintained. It's beautiful to be out there. You know, we, we should lean into golf more as like this sort of festival atmosphere of like, let's just come out and enjoy being outside and hanging out with each other. And I think that's what the waste management does so well. It just doesn't take itself so seriously. There's enough tournaments out there who have, who have so many rules and so many, um, they have fences up that seem to keep people out. And I think waste management just said, you know what? Like you said, if you're a golf fan, come. Yeah. Hang out on the front nine. Watch the golf all you want. Get as close as you want. On the first five holes, it's quiet. It's like a normal golf tournament. You know, you go out there and, and the, the volunteers have their hands up and people aren't talking while the guys are hitting. And, and if that's your scene, then that's awesome. We have great, uh, an unbelievable feel for you to come watch. If you want to get really hammered and, and go <laughs> drink 25 beers, then you can do that as well. You know, the, I just, it's not a zero-sum game. You know, it doesn't have yeah. to be either or. Like, I saw people who were saying, like, oh, like, you know, throwing objects crosses the line, or what if someone gets hurt? Well, like, you know, what if anything? You know, there's a lot of what ifs in life. Like, yeah. it was all, no one got hurt. You know, the fans, I was really impressed. My first time there, I was really impressed by how kind everybody was, mm-hmm. honestly. It wasn't, and maybe it's because it wasn't like a one team versus another, so there wasn't like that sort of natural clash of fans. But everyone seemed to be just like, on the good time bus, you know, and I, I, I had a, I had an awesome experience, and I don't know if it was because we had COVID last year, they were limited fans or whatever it was, but it feels like the tournament made a leap this year, even even more than it did in the years past. It's like it's what people were talking about. That video of everyone throwing the beers that was on every single sports Instagram, it was on, it was on TV. I mean, it, golf was was in the mix this last weekend because of the tournament and because of the way that this tournament opened its embrace for everybody. So. I don't think that like every tournament should do this because it would be tiring and it would be overdone and it would be inauthentic, but it's very authentic at the waste management. It works unbelievably well. The players absolutely loved it. I just don't see any negative. Yeah, that's well said. I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I, I made the, the tweet after Ryder got his hole in one that I said, show me a sporting event where when something significant happens that everyone and I mean, absolutely everyone in attendance is happy. Everyone, even, even the cop, I saw the video and he was like, Hey, we're here at Waste Man feeding it open. This is a really neat experience. And, you know, we're kind of controlling the grounds and, the, and then, and then the hole in one happens behind him and he's going crazy. You know, <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. It's like everybody kind of, yeah, you, you put your hair down a little bit. And you're always going to have the people that push it too far and you got to police that, right? So you got to have the controlled chaos, I think is what, um, how Brooks labeled it, which is probably fairly accurate, but it's not stuffy. There's entertainment, great energy. I think we got to lean in more. I really do. I don't think it has to be every week, but I look at the Byron Nelson. I look at the 3M Open. I look at some of these other events, like lean in a little bit. Think about how you can make this a little bit more of an entertainment type of value um, and put, put the social aspect out there. I think TPC Sawgrass has done a really good job of this as well. I don't think it's a waste management Phoenix open, but I think they've done a lot of really cool things that have led into the entertainment value as well. WM, you know, kind of puts the college feel right into it. But Sawgrass is a great experience as well. I think more tournaments should. I think the tour will lean in too, Daniel. I was very happy. Oh, they, to see. they were they were all in. They were oh, yeah. all. I mean, look at look at their social. Feed. Yeah, they loved it. They absolutely loved it. Like, yep. They were and, and you know, Sam Ryder's ace. They were posting all the different angles of all the beers flying. The, the, the tour, 
has definitely made it, uh, you know, a decision awesome. in terms of me. And I think it's, it's part of this whole Netflix kind of, the, the, the tour is turning a page. Like, they understand that consumer behaviors are changing. And if, if we want to, I saw a stat the other day that said that the, uh, the Netflix show for F1 had dropped their average fan, the age of their average fan, from 36 to 32. So 36 is already young to begin with. 32 wow. is really young. Wow. And I saw that the PGA Tour's average viewer is 64 years old, which doesn't really, it's not that surprising given just the nature of golf, but the tour's looking at this and saying, hey, look, if we want to continue to attract younger eyeballs, which is important for sustained popularity of the sport, then we got to meet them where they are. Right? We, we don't want to make them have to conform to our rules. Let's loosen ourselves up and let's, let's unbutton that top button. And I think the tour is definitely leaning into this. And I, it was nice to see. It was yeah. nice to see not try to sort of gloss over the craziness, but actually embrace it. It was one of the more enjoyable weeks for me in quite some time watching golf. It really was. Like It was great. It was like, I, I tweeted out and said, you know, you have these one big tournaments every month, players in March, Masters in April, PGA, US Open, right? So forth. Hey, I, I, I put WM February now. Like it starts in February. That's the big one, as far as I'm concerned. Now I get it. Pebble Beach the week before, you can. I, I've already vented on that. I think it's the most outdated event there is on the PGA Tour. But I get it. You know, you have a lot of weeks. You got a lot of different types of people watching. You got to serve that core audience. I get it. All right. But at the same time, to your point that you're making so beautifully, we got to lean in to this next generation. And we've got to loosen up a little bit. And I think WM is a great step in doing that. I think Top Golf is a great step in doing that. And I think more tournaments that are out there should follow that. Now, I heard you say something about a rule earlier. We're going to talk about a rule here in a second. And that is the WM poster boy, Charlie Hoffman, right? Who I got to tell you, <laughs> I got to tell you, in the world of social media, all right? In the world of social media, Daniel, I have made some pretty dumb tweets. I've posted some things that I, after second thought, have taken them down, regretted it. I've made some mistakes. Um, you've probably done the same thing. I think we've, we've all done that when you kind of run your business through this and you, and you live and learn. But never in the social media era have I seen a post that was more ridiculous than Charlie Hoffman's on Friday night. None, ever. Because I, I read it and I was like, wait a minute, this, this is really bizarre. First off, why would you ever send this out as the waste management guy during the waste management tournament? And as you kind of read through this tweet and it went on and on and on, my goodness, it just got, at least in my eyes, more ridiculous as you went on. So I'm going to read it here and then we're going to break it down in the two segments because I want to get your thoughts on this. And I've had a lot of I've had a lot of DMs towards me about this topic and making sure that we talk about it on the pod. So as Hoffman said, and I'll read through it quickly, you know, what a joke, the USGA PGA Tour today on the 13th hole. Now, Hoffman hit his tee ball into the water, a lateral hazard. So he hits his ball in the water in the 13th and took a drop on the side of the hill that had no grass, dropped twice, then placed it on a small turf of grass. Turned out the ball started rolling back into the water. I was under the impression that the USGA had changed that rule. I was wrong. Had to take another penalty for doing nothing wrong at all. Did everything by the book. 
it's still mind-blowing that a group of amateurs rule the professional game of golf. I also blame the PGA Tour rules official for putting out a terrible penalty area where this could even happen. No accountability at any level here. No protection for the players at all, Charlie says. You wonder why guys are wanting to jump ship and go play on that other tour. Players need transparency, protection, and consistency. We don't have that under the current governing bodies. Lots of things to take in there. Let's start with the top half of it, which is the rule itself. Now, let me make this analogy for you, folks. The basic rules that a player needs to know, when you hit it out of bounds, you probably need to hit a provisional, right? It's a two-stroke penalty, off you go. I would say right behind that is the lateral water hazard, the red line. When it crosses the line, what are your options? How does that rule transpire? That would be equivalent to last night in the Super Bowl, right? The Rams are driving down, and Stafford drops back third and goal, tight end across the middle. The cornerback grabs him. It's defensive holding. Can you imagine if that dude afterwards, Daniel, says, look, I thought defensive holding wasn't an automatic first down. I thought it was just five yards. I, I, didn't think it was an, I didn't think it was an automatic first down. Haven't we changed that yet? And just play completely dumbfounded that he didn't know what the rule was for a defensive holding. Like these are the basic penalties of the NFL. Holding offense, 10 yards. Defensive holding, five yards, automatic first down. Pass interference, you get the ball. Like you know these things. In professional golf, that's equivalent to out of bounds, lateral water hazard, unplayable lie. I get there's a lot of rules, Daniel, but Charlie Hoffman didn't understand the rule first and foremost. And that's where it begins with me. And he uses the word accountability. And I just don't feel like Charlie is taking much accountability for not understanding what I would deem as a basic rule. Now I'm getting a lot of questions and I'll throw it to you on, well, what could he have done? Well, when you go into a ladder water hazard, right, and you take your, your two clubs out and you drop it, and if it's on that incline, that ball will continue to run back into the water. So it does that twice. Now the third time you get to place it, okay? And he placed it, and the ball stopped, and when he got up, it started rolling again. Well, there are inclines on different hazards where they may use that as protection to the course where it won't entice a player to be so aggressive to hit it up there. His other option would have been to take that point of crossing that point with the hole, he could have went back as far as he could. Another 50, 60 yards, dropped it, and played from there. So he had options. And it's not given that just because it goes in there that you can take two clubs. There's different pitches in different conditions. So I think that the tour probably does a pretty good job to stay away from that. But sometimes that is a bit of the defense to the course. I didn't have much sympathy here for Charlie for not knowing the rules. And I'm not hearing a whole lot of accountability from him when it comes to that. How do you see it? I, you know, I think the rule is kind of like a separate discussion from from the from the spouty shout. I mean, like I understand it's frustrating. You know, you're right. He didn't take accountability for not knowing the rule, so it's a, a, a kind of ironic and, and rich that he used the word accountability. But like rule five, bro. Like you're really going to use a bad ruling that you or you thought was a bad ruling at least. And then say that's the reason that people are going to go to a Saudi tour. Like, re- like really? I mean, don't, don't insult our intelligence, right? Like, you know, with Lee Westwood, I at least respect him for saying, look, I'm 48 years old or whatever he is. 
they offer me a whole bag of cash, I'm going to take it. And, and that would be stupid not to. I'm like, hey, like, if you want to go take the money, like, fair play, take the money, go play the tour, whatever. But don't try and, you know, insult everyone's intelligence by saying that the reason that you're doing it is because of a ruling or because of media rights or because of, you know, growing the game. Like, it's about money, and, it, and it's been about money. Like, and, and I think, you know, one of the other crazy parts about this is, you know, I asked Charlie after the round, I was like, you know, wh- why'd you bring up the Saudi thing? Like, because Charlie Hoffman's not, not someone who's going to leave the PG Tour to go to Saudi Arabia. He's just not. Mm-hmm. I-, I doubt there's an offer for him, number one. Number two, he's 45 years old. He's on the player advisory board. He's held a million leadership positions on the PG Tour. He's like Mr. PG Tour. You know, we, we did a we do a poll for Golf Digest every year that's like nice guys at the PGA Tour and we ask a bunch of questions to one of them like you know if you as a rookie you want to have dinner with some guy and, and learn the ropes of the PGA Tour who would it be Charlie Hoffman oh, very popular answer not the most popular like he's Mr. PGA Tour he's not going to leave so he he was using it as basically a trump card to get to get people's attention which is you know players have leverage right now for the first time in a really long time. The big boys have leverage. There's, a, there's competition, right? And when there's competition, the people that they're competing over, they have leverage. So he decided to use the Saudi card because he didn't like a ruling. And I just think it's a, kind of a dangerous test. Like, are, so are we just going to, anytime a player doesn't like something, they're just going to say, oh, I'm going to go play the Saudi tour. Oh, you wonder why like people are going to play the Saudi tour. It just, it just seemed like sour grapes. That's yeah. all it seemed like. That was sour grapes, and I don't, you know, I, I don't know if he thought it was going to go over differently, um, but it certainly didn't go over very well you know, on social media. But then also just on the ground, it was like you know it was the number one joke of the day. Everyone was like, "Oh, we need more protection, protection." It was just like it was funny. Yeah, it was just so it was so ridiculous that it was that it was funny, and I'm sure I don't think Jay Monahan found it funny, no. but you know, it was it was very surprising to me that he said it. And it, and it was surprising because he's not a guy who's going to leave. Like, it wasn't surprising to me to see Bryson and Phil comment being like, I think Phil said, I feel ya. And Bryson said, I agree, or something along those lines. That wasn't surprising because those guys might leave, right? If there are two guys who would leave, like those two would make a lot of sense. Charlie's not leaving. So, I guess he just, he mis, misjudged how it would go over. Yeah. I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that. He misjudged how it would go over. Well, let me say this. To, to everyone who's listening out there. And hopefully there's some young people out there that are in this, they're in business, right? They have an employer and this and that. Rule number one, it's never a good idea to air out the issues that you're having and throw your employer under the bus. That's never a good idea. I don't care what the situations are. It's not going to land well, right? I mean, it's just, it's just not going to land well. And as Charlie said, as he went into the interview afterwards and talked about and and really doubled down in kind of a weird way as far as, you know, I'm trying to make change and we're not getting change to happen in the boardroom. And this was, I'm going to use my platform to try to help facilitate that with leverage. I, 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 I beg to differ. I think this post is going to do more damage than anything. All right. So let's say you get the rule changed. Now what you just threw the tour under the bus during a week of waste management. Oh, who, by the way, sponsors you. <laughs> like it just, none of it makes sense to me. None of it overall rule. And unfortunately, Daniel is like, 
we're like getting into this habit here of certain people who, when something doesn't go their way and they, and things don't happen to line up in the workforce, they just go to social media and air it out. And that's unacceptable. It's unprofessional. And I think there's got to be some consequence here. I mean, I think the tour has to have some pushback here because you can't have your players throwing this under the bus. Speak your mind, right? It's a free world. You can do those things, but all right. But there has to be some kind of pushback here. Doesn't there from the tour and Jay? I don't know if the tour is really in the business of punishing players right now. Like Jay is definitely nervous, you know, and that's, that's what Charlie said. He was like, oh, why did I, he said, why did Jay tell you? Well, I have a good relationship with Jay Monahan. And, you know, it's a tough time for the PJ Tour now. The PJ Tour is dealing with an existential threat. You know, how, how credible the threat is, I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows. But, you know, there is competition for the first time in a really long time. And the Tour is treading very, very lightly. Mm-hmm. I think it's been really interesting to see the response to all of this stuff, which is basically been no response. I mean, obviously, they're communicating with good people behind closed doors, but they're not going to the media. You know, they're not saying, oh, if a player does this, then we're going to do that. And, you know, they are really, really treading lightly because they, they don't want to do it. They don't want to miss that and, and, and alienate any more players because they just don't feel like they have any leeway right now. There's no space for them to, to do that. I just think that they're treading really, really, really carefully because they're, they're in hot water. They've never really. Yeah. I, I think though, at some point, like you have to trust your product, like your product and what you're working <laughs> on point. and what you're doing. Um, you know, I mean, competition generally is a good thing and they haven't had competition. So it's okay. So the, I get it. There's a competitor, but you have to trust your product to some degree. And then at some point you, you got to call a bluff or you just have to shake the hand of that individual and say, you know what? You know, good luck to you over there in Asia. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, eventually they're gonna. It's like we were just talking about this before we started recording. It's gonna happen. Like, yeah. this, there's too much money for this not to happen. Like, there's gonna be another league. It's gonna happen. So, at a certain point, you, the tour can't really prevent it from happening. What they can do is they can do what they can and make changes, like they've done with the PIP, and like they've done with, you know, there's rumors that they're gonna have these guaranteed money events going forward. They're raising prize money all over the board. But at a certain point, you do what you can do, and then you've done all that you can do. Yeah. And the other thing is going to happen. The one thing is, look, if I, the, the, the reason I'm still um, skeptical that, there, that this scouting thing will, will have any sort of success is until they get a guy like Roar or, or JT or Speed or Kepka mm-hmm. or Morikawa, you know, one of these young guys who isn't Bryson, who's really popular and, you know, who is one of the bright young stars. Until one of those guys, but like as long as those guys keep the United front, and from what I've seen and from what I've heard, Tiger's out, Rory's out, Brooks is out, Collins out, JT has more or less said he's out, hasn't been quite so definitive. As long as those guys stay out, I, I don't think a tour with, even with Bryson Phil, if you got like Bryson Phil, Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, uh, Henrik Stenson, like I just don't think that that's going to bring down the PGA Tour. Yeah. So it, it, it's fascinating. I mean, it's going to yeah. dominate golf. It already has for two years. It's still freaking going on. Yeah. Um, so 
but it, it does sort of feel like things are moving to a point where where sooner or later now we're going to see some people uh, do the thing that the PGA Tour said they can't do. And then the question is, how does the PGA Tour respond? Yeah. They will likely end up in court, but it's going to be fascinating to follow. Well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but we did interview a player, a PGA Tour member, and we'll air it tomorrow, that basically said, yeah, oh yeah, there's, there's 17 guys. Put a number on it. 17 guys that are committed to go play in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> now, I know there's been a lot of discussion of what does committed mean, and there's, okay, I mean, you can tangle that around a little bit on what exactly that means. But I have never, to this point, I have never heard or read anything from a player, PJ Tour member, that was just that nonchalant about it, transparent about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. Oh, there's, there's players going, like, like 17 of them. Like, well, excuse me? <laughs> you know? So a lot of money. Um, I'm with you. I think it is going to happen. We'll air that tomorrow. I don't want to get too much into that. Um, but it's starting to bubble up for sure. And Bryson's not playing this week uh, due to injury, as he says. But uh, it's, uh, it's a great field there. Phil's not playing either, I don't believe, in Genesis, is he? Or is Phil Mickelson? No, he's not. Phil's not playing either. So I don't know, Daniel. It feels like it's bubbling up, doesn't it, a little bit? just feels like... Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it was eventually going to happen where, you know, and hit paper. There's just too much money for it not to happen. Yeah. You know, it's like, what's the old thing? Follow the money. Okay, well, there's a group with basically unlimited money that said they want to do something. Okay, well, they're going to do it. It's going to happen. Yeah. function of whether it reaches the critical mass. I personally don't think it will, but I've been wrong many, many times before, and you will just have to wait and see. But, you know, it's um, it's going to end up, I, you know, one thing I do really think is that he's going to end up in court. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, it's you going know, because there. Because mm-hmm. someone's going to sign a contract, and PJ Tour is going to say, oh, see ya. Yeah. And they're going to sue him. And so that's, I'm sure that the PJ Tour already has their law firm. And I'm just, you know, I'm, like, this is, there's a lot of things that the, the tour might be quiet publicly, but they are absolutely making moves. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. sure. They know they know what's happening. They know what's going on. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, players championship coming up here in what? We've got three more tournaments. We go Genesis, Honda, Bay South Hill, Bar, Bay Hill, and then right. players. So you'll be in my backyard in a few weeks. I'm gonna I'll, I'll, if you're gonna be here. I'm assuming you're gonna be here. We'll we'll have a couple chili ones and uh, a steak dinner on me. Hundred percent. Yeah, I'll definitely be there. We'll do that for sure. All right, buddy. Sounds good. I appreciate you being on the podcast. It's a good one here today. A lot of stuff. This feels like a big week in professional golf. Daniel Rapport, go give him a, go give him a follow on Twitter. All right, buddy. Thanks.